So um, I actually like trips for a lot of reasons, and one of them is um, I kind of think I have this thing called rental car favor. Okay, have you ever heard that before? Whenever I get a rental car, something always works out where I got this deal that even the rental car agents can't understand. How'd you get it so cheap? Or when I get to the place, the person who is kind of like at the desk, for some reason, wants to give me a really good deal. So. After a while, I always look to get the next car up from what I had purchased because somehow or some way, the rental car favor kicks in. For example, we were in San Diego and I was going to the desk and my wife is like, do not get, do not get the next car up because she knows it's what I do. It's like, okay, unless it's a really good deal, I won't. So I get up there and uh, the guy is talking to me and he's asking for my you know, credit card and for my driver's license and I tell him, you know, this is a Costco thing, so we always rent our cars from Costco. And as he's looking at my license, he goes, oh, you're from New York. Um, and basically, he's like, your accent does not tell me you're from New York, but your driver's license does. And as he's talking, I'm like, your accent is telling me <laughs> you're from New York. Because he's got a thick, thick uh, Brooklyn accent. Yeah. And so as he's, going, as he's going along, I don't know why, but the guy is like so happy. Okay? I never met him before. And he's like, I, I, didn't, I, I lived all over the place, but I lived not too far from you. And he starts talking and starts talking. And uh, there's people behind me in the, in, in the line. But he's, he's like, let me see if I can get you a good deal. So he's like scrambling through. <laughs> I'm like, rental car favor, rental car favor, right? And he's scrambling through and he's talking about it. He's like, oh, you know, this is what I loved about this place. And it's like, a, well, he's telling me his life story. 19 years ago, he moved out here and he, all this, the food that he misses, the people that he misses, the, 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 in the neighborhoods that he misses. And I'm, I'm kind of in the back of my head. I'm like, you've been here 19 years and all you can think about is New York. You're so happy to see a New Yorker that you're trying to, you know, find a way. And he did. He didn't just give me the employee's discount off of the Costco charge. He gave me the manager's discount, right? <laughs> and he's telling me this story. And so at the end, I'm like, you know, it sounds like you really like New York. How come you don't move back? He goes, oh, man, I hate that place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a funny story, but that's so common for people. Like I was here, we were actually helping out at the street fair, the second street fair that, that KCS runs. And uh, uh, I, was at the, I was at the street fair, and there was these first responders, these firemen. And I'm, I don't know why. I sit down. I start talking. They're telling me their life story, and this happens quite a bit. Uh, and as they're talking, there's like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about moving over here. And the other guy's like, I would never move away from this place. And on the other hand, he's like complaining <laughs> left and right. We love to love this place, the city, and we love to hate the city. Yeah. And you only really realize that when you've lived here for a while. Um, I'm not a native New Yorker, but my 10 plus years here have taught me a little of that. But I realize that this is a natural way that people respond to cities. Yeah. You find the places and the aspects of the city you just really love, and you learn how to navigate. You learn how to tolerate, you know, because you have to. Some of the things you don't like about the city, it's so expensive. People are rude sometimes, and you have to wait in lines for anything good. Um, you learn to Eke out an existence and try to find a life. And that's what my parents taught me. Because I've always been in cities. I was born in Korea in a large city, Seoul. Came to Chicago, um, Seattle for a while, but New York. M most of my life has been spent in a, around large metropolitan areas. And my parents taught me this just by, just by watching them. They didn't feel like a city was really a place to love. It was a place to try to get a, get a leg up. 
find a place where you can work and find a place where you can get some opportunities and then you can grow, uh, grow your family, but never a place where you can say, this is my city, I love this city. Um, Asians, immig- immigrants, never felt like this was a city of theirs for a very, very long time because even when I was growing up uh, in many places, even in Chicago, I was told this is not your city, this is my city. That's because of the uniform, the racial uniform I wear. And so you don't feel like the city's yours, so you have, to, you have to edge it out. You have to figure out a way to navigate the city so that not only you can have a life, um, but you don't really learn to fully, fully love the city. I'm using this language because as a pastor and as a theologian, I'm realizing that my own theology, my belief about the city, my own spirituality, how I engage God in and through the, my experience of the city is actually very, very weak. I didn't get a lot of that from my parents or from the generations that have gone past. I've done what my parents do and a lot of what New Yorkers do. We find a way to use the city. People come to this place because there's opportunities. We come, come to New York to enjoy and find the food that we like or the experience that we like, but we also have this pain because it's a tough place to live. There are, there are people all around us with needs that we don't even know or don't even want to get into. But there is a theology and a spirituality of the city. God didn't just allow cities to just crop up for no reason. There is a design for how God planned the city to be. And it's a design for good. That if God had his way, if Jesus was king, guess what? The way that he would see people live together is actually, not that he has, has, has no problem with farms, but the idea of a, a godly city is actually part of his picture of what eternity is going to look like. A concentration of people, a community of people that actually live well, live in peace, flourish because they're together and they are centered in God. There is a design for the city that I had no idea about, even as a growing up in the church, growing up even you know, in, in theology. Um, but the first thing that we're going to talk about in this next series called Gospel and Life is that's where we start. That's where we learn to experience and to live out the gospel in life in this beautiful, broken, sometimes brutal, but very beautiful, amazing city. We learn to start where we are in our city context and that see that God has a plan for it. We are going to be going through eight sessions um, in this study guide uh, by Tim Keller. And what we normally do in our grace groups, for those of us who are, are either visiting or new to our church, we go through seasons where we follow a, sp- a specific curriculum, and the Sunday sermons actually introduce the material. So you don't have to do a lot of reading. Um, York, some of us are a little busy to read. You'll get the gist of what is being presented. But in our grace groups, in our small groups that follow, we can just kind of jump right after and start to discuss. How does this apply to me? Start to share our own experiences, our own stories. How to, start to encourage each other. Start to work this out and flesh this out in our lives. And so that's what we're doing. Our first grace group starts today. And I'm going to introduce us in terms of how God sees a messed up city, a city that sometimes is very violent and doesn't take care of those who are vulnerable, and what his plans are and how we can be used to actually bless the city love and serve the city. Well, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, as we heard read, 
we find the people of God are actually found in a city that's not theirs, in a city called Babylon. They have been pulled out. They have been, uh, uh, they've lost the war, and this grand superpower, the Babylonians, have come, and they've taken the best of Jerusalem. All of their skilled merchants, skilled artisans, their, their, their politicians, their government people, all the bureaucrats, all the people who are, are, are good and, and valuable, they left all the quote-unquote losers in Jerusalem, and they pulled everybody out. Their intention was, as they bring them to Babylon, is to convert them. Convert them into a, a city way of life. Convert them into the Babylonian way of life. Yeah. But the people of God, now who are in Babylon, or are going toward Babylon, they are, they are feeling extremely vulnerable. Okay, it's a form of indentured slave, slavery, indentured servitude. They don't have their own identity, and they're fearing that, give it time, they'll lose their identity. They've been brought into exile, and actually God has even allowed it. He's planned through it. He's going to bring them home, but for the time that they're in Babylon, as we find out later on, 70 years, God has a plan for them, and God has a plan for Babylon, the very city that they brought into exile. Okay? So the story of the exile is actually very interesting because they experience a place where everything is not comfortable and they have to fight for their life. In many ways, it's a description of kind of like where we're. We're not home as, as, as those who are in Christ, but we are promised to be brought home to, to him, that there's going to be a return from exile, a return to him, not just physically, but relationally. And so uh, some of these stories of, of what the people of God in the Old Testament experience in the exile means a lot. It actually is very relevant to where we are today. Well, the people back then, um, when they were brought into Babylon, uh, guess what? You would imagine how difficult it must be. You would imagine how you, are, you have no rights you have no uh, leverage. You have no awareness of what's going on. And in, in fact, in that city, you don't feel like it's yours. They speak a different language. They, speak, uh, they have a different a value system. They have a different way of doing things. Tim Keller describes that uh, as they were going to the city into exile, the temptation was to think that, in fact, they were going to lose their spiritual identity. On top of that, um, this is my little way of, my little, little graph of describing that was the plan. The Babylonians pulled these people into exile, believing that as they stayed in the city, as they lived in the city, got used to it, started to navigate it, learn how it works, they would lose their spiritual identity. Their heart for God, their living out, their relationship with God, it would, it would dissipate slowly and then, um, uh, and then you know, fully. Actually, this is very... very um, uh, similar to what a lot of people experience. If you are coming from a, a naughty city environment and uh, you come here for work or so on and so forth, yeah, you work on Sundays. It's very hard finding a, a, a spiritual community at times. And there's a lot of people who come to New York and they lose their faith. They lose their spiritual identity. That's what the Babylon, Babylonians were planning for. And in fact, um, there's a reason why. Because Babylon actually was a grand city. It was the grand city of their time. Um, it was not just architecturally, uh, culturally, it was the high point. 
So um, there are seven ancient wonders of the world. One is called the Babylonian Hanging Gardens. We don't have a picture of it. We don't have any descriptions of it except through what writing. And, but from what we hear, it was astounding. Every culture came and they said, how is this possible? Babylon was kind of like the New York. It was the cultural high point. It was the, the political high point uh, in many ways. And so if you're living in Babylon, that was the threat. You will lose your spiritual identity. And so the false prophets, the prophets that are referenced in this passage where, where Jeremiah is, is saying, don't believe them. They're not speaking God's will. They're saying, do not stay in the city. Flee. If you live in the city, you will lose your faith. There is no hope for you and for this city. But Jeremiah tells them something different. Jeremiah speaking from God's heart and speaking from God's truth. He's saying, no, stay in the city. Stay in the city. And that he would allow, not only they would keep their spiritual identity, they would shape the city. This is what he says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Um, I, my, my friend and I, we plant gardens every year, but we have to plant every year because it's like, it's like peppers and cucumber and it's one-year stuff. So, you know, we think garden is short-term. But actually, if you think about it, a lot of the plants and the fruits and so on and so forth that they would plant is long-term. I was in Hawaii. We were actually in Kona. And as we were traveling, we went to a macadamia farm and these massive trees. And we found out a macadamia tree... Once you plant it, it takes a long time, eight, ten, sometimes you know, longer for it to begin to start pumping out macadamia nuts. But one healthy tree, once it starts fr bearing fruit and nuts, it will do it for a hundred years. Can you imagine that? So what are they saying? Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Plan for generations. Okay? They've been brought with no rights, feeling so vulnerable to the city and God is telling them, build houses, plant gardens, plan for the long run. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Think about three generations down. Plan for that in that city, that pagan foreign city where you don't feel comfortable. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And this is what God tells them. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It is a radical thing that he's telling these exiles, okay? That they would find their spiritual identity, they would be able to keep it even, in that city, in that pagan, horrible city. God is saying that even in a place where they feel like there is no hope, God would keep their spiritual identity. And as that city prospers, they would prosper. This is where we begin to actually get a, an access to a spirituality about the city. God cares for even the pagan cities, the places where you would never imagine that there's godliness that God actually cares for. So if you're coming from Seattle... New York is not a great place for a lot of people. In fact, my wife, she's such a sports fan. She's a Seahawks, Mariners fan, and she can't stand the Yankees, okay? So by that definition, New York is a sinful place, right? And when you think of New Yorkers, you know, 
talk, talk to other people. They're, they think all New Yorkers are money-grabbing. They think all New Yorkers are just rude, selfish. They'll run over anybody else. They really don't know, okay? Some, some people are, but, you know, there's, they, they have this idea of what New York can be. Um, all about power, all about, uh, you know, carelessness toward the vulnerable. Well, guess what? Babylon was that and worse. There's another city like that called Nineveh in the scriptures where uh, it's in the story of, uh, of Jonah. Jonah is told to go and to preach to the, to the Ninevites, these people who were so bad to the Israelites, who were just so brutal and, and took them into exile. Jonah does not want to see the city of Nineveh loved and cared for. and He doesn't want to see them come to Christ, come to God. But eventually Jonah has to go and the whole story of Jonah actually is, is teaching the people of Israel, saying, don't you know, I even, God is saying, I even care for this brutal city, for all those who are living there, even the animals that are living there. That when God sees a city, he doesn't just see a collection of people. He actually cares for, he has designs for that city. Well, guess what? Cities and our, the way of living in the, United, in the world, in the global context, it's changing. People are moving to the cities more and more and more. There is a radical urbanization that's happening all across and including in the United States. In fact, uh, in 2014, already 54% of all the world's people live in cities. Okay, if you think about it, with all that vast space, people have moved away from the rural context and we're all congregating in cities. And it's going to be increasing. By 2050, 66%, two-thirds of humanity will be packed tightly in the cities. Okay? I'm glad God has a plan for cities because that's, that's where it's going to. And part of the plan for God's design for a city was, guess what? When you have a city, especially back then, it meant security. You have a wall. You don't have to be so afraid of constant raiders coming that, in fact, you can build, you can plan, you can, you can use some of your energy and your resources toward higher things, different things. Okay? So cities were meant to be a place where you have protection and security. Cities were referenced as places where justice was meted out. You know, when you're out in the Wild West and something happens, guess what? It's not about who is, who is the marshal oftentimes. Uh, it's actually who has the bigger guns. And when you look at the way God had planned for cities to function even, there are these what's called cities of refuge. Have you heard of those in the Old Testament? Okay. And I've never wondered why. I was like, why is, why is this in the scriptures? Why is this so important? It's referenced over and over again. Because back then, if you got into an accident and the, the, the family members of the one who died is so angry, they won't hear your story. They'll just go into vigilante mode and they'll, just go, they'll, they'll kill you. And so God prepared cities where you can run to. And in that city, you would be given a chance to be heard. Your case would be meted out with justice. That interesting. Cities were associated with justice, protection, justice. Cities were the places where you had the resources to develop culture, okay? To put, to put talented people together, to, to have schools, to have, have training, and to have, you know, ingenuity and, and development to a place where not only cities were the places where culture is developed according to God's design, but culture is disseminated, Okay? Guess what? People all know New York because they see it on TV, okay? Because it shows up. The culture of the city moves everywhere. 
This is going to help us actually in a lot of ways. Because sometimes we don't know how to live out our spirituality in the city. We don't know what the city's for. We don't know what God intends the city to be for other people. So we don't know how to partner with them. We don't know how to put our energy toward it. We might be doing some of these things, working for justice, working to protect, working for cultural development and dissemination, and have no idea that that actually is what God wants in and through the city. Cities were places where people would really come to build their life and their spiritual identity. So every city, if you look at nation cities especially, at the center, at the highest point where everybody would look would be not only the gathering place, but the, but the, but the place where the faith would be extended. Faith would be uh, built upon. So in all these small towns, it's the church right in the middle. But it wasn't just Christian cities that were built that way. So if you go to Athens, ancient Athens, at the center, at the highest point, where do you find? You find the Parthenon. The Parthenon was the temple, the temple of the goddess Athena. And that's where you find your spiritual identity. Cities are places for developing and finding protection, for meeting out good, healthy justice, for cultural development and dissemination. And lastly, these are places where you can really find spiritual identity, spiritual impact. The way the book of Matthew, uh, in the book of Matthew, the way Jesus describes it as, the church itself should be like a city on a hill. Because cities on a hill are visible from very far. And when you don't feel protected, when you're traveling and you, don't, you feel vulnerable, guess what? The city is visible from afar. You know where you're supposed to go. At nighttime, these white rocks, when you have uh, like light from the inside, you're, you're, um, you're uh, you know, lighting up your, your, your oil lamps, it actually kind of glows. You can see, like now, in the dark, you can see from afar. And that's your hope, that you can get through a dangerous road in the middle of the night and find, uh, to, get to, to get to the city. These I, this, this descriptions of what the city is supposed to be are all really beautiful and helpful. That God actually intended for cities to look like this. That our community is supposed to be like a city on a hill where people who are feeling vulnerable, they're, 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 they don't feel safe, uh, they don't feel like justice is around, they don't feel uh, the, the, the height of culture, they don't know where they can find their spiritual impact, they can come, um, not only just to a city, but come to a, a Christian context, okay, the disciples. Lastly, as we're building the theology and the design of what the city is supposed to be, it, it, isn't it interesting that at the end, in the book of Revelation, when all is said and done, and God's final plan is in shape. We're not living in a farm. In fact, Revelation chapter 21, we see the, the new Jerusalem, the city of God coming down. That's the metaphor for how we're going to be living in eternity. Okay? Cities are not just places where um, wicked people live. Okay? Where it's just brutal. You know, cities actually, in God's intent, are places where there's a godly culture. People come to know Christ. There's, there's ingenuity. Um, there's protection. There's justice. Unfortunately, cities aren't always described that way, even in the scriptures. Two horrible cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, that in the way that they lived, their norms, their, their social structures, and the way they treat others was so judgment-worthy, that, that fire and brimstone wiped them out. Do you know what their primary sin was? 
Okay? And yes, it was uh, just brutal homosexual you know, violence, but it was on foreigners. It was on immigrants. It was on people who had, on the vulnerable. Isn't that interesting? That God looks at the city, it was designed to be like Jerusalem, a place of, of justice and a place of mercy and a place of, of, of a wholeness. Uh, this looked, looked nothing like that. Babylon was one of those cities. Nineveh was one of those cities. And yet, when the people of God are carted off and planted in Babylon, God commands them, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because as it prospers, you too will prosper. I think this gives us a little idea of how we can begin to develop our urban spirituality. No matter how bad the city is, how messed up it is, how, how it's geared for uh, the either you know, one, one group or the other, how much ethnic strife there is, no matter how much injustice there is, guess what? Our job is not just to navigate it for our own purposes um, and, and to maintain a love-hate relationship. It's actually to serve the city, to look where there is not a shalom, a wholeness, to look where there is not a growing and a flourishing and prosperity, and then put our energies there. And as we do, as we follow and as we pray it through, not only do we prosper, the city prospers. This is what the church has always done right from the beginning. There's this guy named Rodney Stark, and, and um, actually, I love this guy. I, I read as many as both of his books as I can. Uh, he's a sociologist that looks at history, and he unpacks, it's like, it's like a Malcolm uh, um, Gladwell. He unpacks, how is this possible? He describes, you know, Christianity went from a few hundred in the, the first century to, to basically being the dominant religion uh, within 300 years, and that Sociologists cannot explain that except through mass crusades. But actually, he describes something different. He says something about the way the church lived was so alternate, was so beautiful, was so different from the rest of the Greco-Roman world that it, be, it, was, it was actually so attractive. And the way he describes it is Christianity served as a revitalization movement. They went into the cities that were dying, okay, that were uh, in response to misery and chaos, fear and brutality in the life of those worlds. They went into those cities and they brought life. They did it by providing new norms, new way of doing things, new way of living, kingdom life, new kinds of social relationships that helped them to cope with urban problems. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers, and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. They opened up their doors. They opened up their homes. They gave people a sense of family that would not be able to find it anywhere else. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. There was no community at that time that allowed for Jew and Greek to live together, people of different religions, for slave and free, different classes for men and women, actually, to be on equal par. There was nothing like that, except in Christianity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective services. There are stories of people who are just, like, they're scratching their heads. Historians are like, I don't understand how this is possible. Because when we look at a plague and a city is dying because it's so poorly run and disease is rampant and people are running away, 
There's a group of people running into the city, these Christians, giving their lives to save those. And it was so potent, it transformed not only individual lives, communities, cities, the Roman Empire, this brutal Roman Empire. I think one of the reasons why Christianity is so powerful because at the beginning, they had an urban spirituality. They understood God cared for the city, even the, the brutal ones, even the places where those who are vulnerable don't get cared for. They represented that. I don't really have a great urban spirituality. Um, and I realized that uh, when I first came to New York, actually, uh, God called us here. And um, even the New York accent actually was really off-putting for quite a while. This is, this is how I knew, uh, it actually took a couple years. This is how I knew uh, that I was beginning to develop an urban spirituality where the New York accent didn't bother me. In fact, it was, it was like home, yeah. But I realized uh, I can go into the city and I can enjoy, but actually there's still a part of me that's just, yeah, it's so easy just to use. And that's not just New York City. It's not just Manhattan. It's not just Flushing or Bayside. It's actually, you know, we can do that even in just our own neighborhoods, any place where there's density. Um, we won't think about the lives of the people living next to us, lives of people living in our, in our same building, in our same block. I think there's a place for us to actually really recover, to build on this beautiful urban spirituality. Um, there are groups that are already doing this, and we're going to be prompted, we're going to be stirred and challenged to do this all the more. It's not something you pick up you know, over a weekend, over a sermon. But I am so convinced that God cares for the city. I am so convinced that God cares for uh, not just the neighborhoods, not just the individuals, but the city itself, God's plan. And I'm, that's one of the reasons why we're here. We've, we've actually chosen to be here. How do we begin to develop this? How do we begin to take steps in this? I think one of the ways is simply not to think about, yes, and it's true, look at the needs of those around us. There's a quote by an Indian pastor in the Grace Group Materials that says, he's, you know, people can easily look at cities, especially in India, because India is really bad too, as just monstrous places, okay? Um, sex trafficking, um, all kinds of horrible things being done in the darkness. But he says, we have to change the way that we look at our cities, not as just monstrous places, but places where communities have need. And when we begin to look at the city that way, start looking at the needs that are there, we might not be able to fill every single need, and we, we, probably, we most likely cannot. But there are gonna, there's going to be a need that's going to start to stir and build in our hearts. We can step in. In fact, uh, we've got a lot of skilled people. We've got a lot of people who've, who've been kind of positioned very strategically. And, and as we take some steps, as God builds our urban spirituality, we're going to be able to really invest in the lives in the buildings and the blocks around us. Paul experienced this too. He had to go into places so foreign, and, and he, was, he was a world traveler, and yet it was hard. But God gave him this encouragement. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. It's as, it, as we do, get up and go into the city. As we begin to look for, where is there not shalom? not peace? Where is there not flourishing? Where are these needs that God is rising around us? As we begin to pray for it, God's going to lead us. He's going to build this sense of 
flourishing. As we flourish, the city and those around us will flourish. Um, I'm going to finish just with a couple of verses that are in this section that I just totally did not connect in so many ways. Whenever I used to preach this, these verses, whenever I used to pray these verses, I took it absolutely individually. Okay? Wouldn't you love to hear this? God telling you individually, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's one of the most encouraging verses. In fact, a lot of people have their life verse here. I know the plans that I have for you. But do you realize when this was, what context this is being given? These people living in a brutal city that is threatening to take their spiritual identity away, God is saying, I am going to prosper you. You're going to flourish. Okay? You're going to be given a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when, we, when you seek me with all your heart. This has everything to do with our life in the city. I'm going to have you bow your heads with me as we begin to pray. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.